Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Zohar in 15. My name is David Fournier, the instructor here at Restoring Grace. So glad that you're able to join me either live or archive. I want to talk to you this morning about broadcasting the God of grace. Broadcasting the God of grace. We'll be reading out of uh, Zohar Volume 4, Portion Toldot, Chapter 11, Verses 86 and 87. <clears throat> As followers of God, whether you find yourself in a a Christian or in Judaism or in the different forms that we follow God as a Christian myself, as followers of God, one of the things we should do is emulate his character and his attributes so that people can see in us what we see in him. This is echoed throughout the, these uh, Old and New Testament documents. The idea that we would represent our God in a way that would explain his existence to people. I mean, it's hard for people to grasp, put, you know, put their he- arms around or put their head around the idea of God and just say, well, God does this, God does that. But if we live our lives in a way that is attractive, live our lives in a way that's contagious, uh, if you please, in our joy and our ability to deal with stress, the different things that happen, we emulate his characteristics. And by doing so, we begin to draw an interest to God through the way we live our lives. And understanding God's character is also being able to see his desires in the scriptures. Let me say that again. Um, Understanding God's character is also seeing his desires in the scriptures. So as we read through the scriptures, and we're going to read one today in Ezekiel, that's a classic example of this, there are things that God wants to accomplish in humanity. There's things he wants to get done in mankind. So as his followers, as people who love God, as followers of Jesus, then you, we would be, you would think, in tune with what their desires are. So kind of like your boss at work has a certain mission that he wants to accomplish, or at least hopefully he does. And you maybe where you work has like mission statement or core values. Maybe at your church there's something in your bulletin that says this is what we do or this is who we are. And the idea is that every decision that we make, everything we do, runs through the filter of that. That's the same way we should be living in our life with God. Scriptures, the Bible, is not written to grant us our wishes. I want to say that again. The Bible is not written to grant us our wishes. It is not this tremendous uh, uh, compodium of writings to make us happy, uh, to find out to how to get your stuff from God lists. That's not what the scriptures are all about. And I think that this is the reason why right now in academia, both Christian and religious and secular, the scriptures are under such tremendous attack all the time. How could these books, if they're all authorized by God, if they're all breathed by God, the openustos, I think is a Greek word, if they're all these things, how can they possibly be right when there's you know, somewhere between 22 and 38,000 different Christian denominations? There are currently 26 different biblical canons in operation in Christianity. So people look at that and they say, how can these scriptures have this much authority and be written by God and say this many different things? Good news is we're not going to talk about that today. But this is one of the reasons why. If we actually looked at our Bibles, if we actually looked at our scriptures and said, 
we're going to find the characteristics of God. We're going to find the characteristics of Jesus, and we're going to live these out in public. I think we'd be doing much better. I do want to start by reading verse number 86 to you. Similarly, the Holy One, blessed be he, does not judge man according to his evil deeds, which he continuously does. For if he did so, the world would not have survived. But the Holy One, blessed be he, refrains from the wrath of the right, with the righteous and the wicked. With the wicked, he's even more forbearing than the righteous, so that they may repent and complete, com, repent completely and exist in this world and in the world to come. As it is written, as I live, says Adonai Elohim, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked will turn from his way and live. Ezekiel 33.11. We're going to read that in just a minute. Which means to live in this world and the world to come. For that reason, he, the Holy One, blessed be he, is always forbearing. Another reason is that good stock may issue from them, as Abraham was begotten of Terah, who issued good stock and good origin and portion in the world. God does not bring judgment against man for his evil deeds, either to the wicked or the righteous. God's aware that our evil isn't going to stop. He knows our evil. It says up there, he says, he's, God does not judge a man according to his evil deeds, which he continuously does. This is a very powerful portion, and I want us to slow down and spend a little bit of time thinking about what we're actually talking about. God, in his, in his wisdom and in his love for us, this God of grace, has established what is acceptable and authorized to him, and what is unacceptable and unauthorized. He has established what is secular. He has established what is sacred. And what he doesn't do is the minute that we break the line, the minute that we do those, those evil deeds, it's hard to talk about evil deeds, but we do them. The minute we do these things, what he doesn't do is he doesn't destroy us instantly. He doesn't punish us instantly. There is punishment. There is judgment. There, there is consequences for doing wrong actions. I want to say that right now because I know that's the number one email I'll get when I'm done with this with this lesson will be you're talking about a God that doesn't judge and a God you want just a God of love. I'm not talking about a God of love right now. I'm talking about a God of grace. I'm talking about a God who from the time of Adam when he said, if you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Adam didn't die. He went on to live much longer. I'm talking about a God of grace who does love us, who does forgive, who while he will hold us in accountability for our actions, he will judge us for what we do, he does it in a way that allows us to continue to live so that we have the opportunity to repent and be with him in the world to come. The fact that he is aware that we are this way, and he knows that we are this way, tells us that he has accepted what he will go through in order to show his love and his grace for us. You see, if God did, admi did administer harsh and immediate judgments, we wouldn't be able to withstand it. We, we wouldn't be able to understand it. We wouldn't be able to, exist, uh, to withstand it. Sorry about that. We wouldn't be able to withstand it. We'd collapse under it. And God knows us. God is a God of grace. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and I'll be right back in just a moment. Looking for something different at your next retreat, Bible study, or weekend seminar? Restoring Grace could be the answer for you. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace, and we gladly support, encourage, and minister in many churches across the country. You can reach me at dave at restoringgrace.com. Again, that's dave at restoringgrace.com. Or you can call 
619-233-6265 for your next upcoming event. The verse goes on to say that he, he doesn't judge harshly against the righteous. He also doesn't judge her harshly against the wicked. And I wonder, uh, uh, he's more forbearing with the wicked. I wonder if we are. God has no pleasure, he says, in the death of the wicked. Let me read that verse real quickly from Ezekiel 33, verse number 11. Say to them, so he's talking to Ezekiel. This is the famous watchman's duty chapter in Ezekiel. He says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn from your evil ways. What? Why then will you die? I wonder if we are more forbearing with the wicked. I wonder if we've gotten to the place in our Christianity. I'll talk about Christianity because that's what I am. I wonder if we've gotten to the place in our Christianity where we feel so slighted. We feel so uh, upset by the different things that are happening in the world that now we've turned against the wicked. And we're hoping that they burn or we're hoping that they die or we're hoping that whatever our hopes may be. But God also knows that from tough situations and bad situations, good things can come. Did you notice where he talked about how Abraham, Abraham would be what we would list as one of the good guys, came from who? Came from Terah, a guy not known for being a good guy. So when you read this and you, and you begin to understand what God is saying here, it is God's will that none should perish, the New Testament documents say. God's will that none should perish and all come to repentance. I'm curious if that's our will. God's will, he says, he's like, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Is that our desire? Do we share that same desire? Do we emulate that same great God's grace? Do we tell people, look, God knows that where we are, what we're doing is wrong. God knows that the way we live is not right. God knows your heart. And he knows that while you do evil deeds, he also knows there's part, he also knows there's part of him in there. And that he would like to connect with you with that part. He would like to reestablish the relationship with you because he loves you, because God is a God of grace. Is he going to kill me? Is he going to do this? Listen, there is a time of reckoning. There is a time of accountability with God. But he does not, his own scriptures say he doesn't take pleasure in your death. He does not want to see you perish. He wants to see you in the world to come with him. He wants to enter into this dialogue. Verse 87 addresses specifically the righteous in this, and this is very interesting. But the Holy One, blessed be he, is always strict with the righteous in every deed they do, because he knows they will not turn away, neither to the right nor the left. He constantly tests them. Not for his own sake does, he, does the Holy One, blessed be he, test them, as he knows it is their desire and the firmness of their faith and has no need of trying them. But he tries them only to lift up their heads, and give them confidence as they earn their merits through these experiences. Wow, this is a completely different take on the suffering and the trials that we go through. Why is God strict on us as righteous? The people say, it's not fair. So-and-so lives his life like this, and -and so-and-so does all these things, and nothing happens to him. But look what happens to me. Remember that God has a unique and special plan for you. He has a destination in mind for you in your life. He wants to see you go places. He wants to see positive things happen. Well, guess what? There's going to be some trials that are going to come along the way. But God tries us, he's saying here in verse 87. God is strict with us, not because he wants to just be mean, but because he believes in us. And he has faith that we will not turn away. Think of this. Who believes in whom? 
God says he believes that we'll make the right choices. God is putting out his vote of confidence. Consider my servant Job. He is saying, I know that you will not turn to the right. I know that you won't turn to the left. I don't need to test you just for my own sake. And I don't need to test them to see what desire or the firmness of your faith is. I'm doing it for this reason. I'm doing it so that they can have confidence through the merits and the experiences that they gain. How do we repay this confidence to God? How do we betray, How do we repay this confidence to God? Do we do it by betraying the very thing that he gives us, which is forgiveness? Let me say that again. Do we betray God in the very, in the very thing he gives us, which is forgiveness? You know, I know that there's a lot of things out there in this world that are, are, are troublesome and problems. And I know there's a lot of things that are, are challenging our faith. But at the end of it, we're here to proclaim a God of grace. We have a lot of people who think they're Old Testament prophets, who don't even understand, who don't have the slightest clue what was happening during the time of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel. Not even the slightest clue. They don't get it. And they want to become these self-appointed, self-anointed prophets of judgment, talking about all these things that were occurring in the time during the Old Testament documents without really knowing what was going on. Be careful what you say. Given to us by God, not for his own sake. He knows we don't need the trials, but believes it will stand firm. Trials, by the way, according to this verse in the Zohar, are designed to build our confidence and give us the opportunities to earn it. Now, what can we learn from this? We've got to go quick. Number one is that God has been a God of grace for all of human history. Grace is not a New Testament idea. Number two is that God has the right and power to judge mankind with extreme prejudice, but he doesn't. Number three is God has unlimited confidence in choices that honor our commitment to him. Number four is how can we share this amazing news when we treat most people without grace and love? And number five is, why is it so important that we act out of character with what God has given to us? Back to number two. God has the right and power to judge mankind with extreme prejudice and doesn't. Why do we? My name is David Fournier, one of the instructors here at Restoring Grace. Thank you so much for joining me, either live or archive here on the Zohar at 15. And I thank you so much for your emails. Again, you can reach me at Dave at RestoringGrace.com uh, and all your comments on the show. Thank you and God bless. Mm-hmm.